Now for Raising the Bar, Greater RVA's premier law talk radio show. Call into the show with your stories and questions at 804-454-1366. Good morning and welcome to Raising the Bar, Greater RVA's Law Talk Radio Show. This is attorney Colleen Quinn of Locke and Quinn. And today I will be interviewing my client, Keith Lippa, on building a family three different ways. Keith has created his family or grown his family, let's say, by one child through foster care adoption, another child through private placement adoption, and his third child, his daughter, through gestational surrogacy. So this is going to be a great show. And before we get started, remember that Raising the Bar Law Talk Radio has a webpage with all of the podcasts that we have done over the past uh, seven to eight months. Every Wednesday at 9 a.m., we feature a different legal topic. And the uh, RaisingTheBarLawTalk.com website also has a really good listing of resources, pro bono, uh, low-cost resources, resources for specialty groups. Um, and also remember that all of the videos also are posted on the Lock and Quinn Facebook page. So if you don't get to hear the whole show today, go to the Lock and Quinn Facebook page and catch the rest of it later. Um, or go to the Raising the Bar Law Talk uh, radio show webpage and you can catch the podcast um, on the iTunes series there. So good morning, Keith. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for being here. It's, a, it's a, a rainy, dreary day with a lot of traffic, so hopefully we'll have a lot of listeners listening in. So um, let's talk about these wonderful, wonderful children that you have and what prompted you to want to be a dad at some point. Well, I've always wanted to be a dad. Um, just growing up, just knowing that you know, you have, you're taking care of other humans and being able to raise them from kids all the way up through uh, adulthood and uh, try to provide direction for them. I just, it's just been a, a gut feeling of mine that I knew I wanted to be a dad from so long. I actually started the process when I was 25. Wow. When I lived in Delaware, Philadelphia area. Okay. And I started looking at adoption through that avenue. And um, I always wanted to have uh, my family uh, involved with the process. And so once I moved back to Virginia in 2007, I really started um, picking up the process a lot more uh, more hard to try and uh, make that dream come true. Yeah. So, um, because as a single dad, you don't have yes. as many options, right? That yeah. Is. You know, and we've got, I've got single mom clients and they can go to a, to a sperm donor bank or whatever, yep. you know, and as a single dad, it's a little bit harder to figure out, yeah, how am I going to, how am I going to do I'm this, this, right? I'm missing one key component <laughs> right, exactly. and it's probably the most critical component. <laughs> so, uh, so what concerns did you have about being a single dad and doing this, um, setting out to build your family, um, you know, without having a spouse or a partner? So um, you know, I grew up in a single family household. My mom was a single parent. My parents divorced when I was probably three years old. Okay. And so my mom was a single parent and, um, and I, she did an amazing job raising myself and my brother growing up. And we had a, a huge family support network then because all of my family's in the Richmond area. So my grandparents were heavily involved in my life. We lived with them in the summertime. 
um, that came to every sporting event that we had. And I just, I knew that was the things that I cherish and remember from my childhood. And I want that for my children. So when I uh, finally moved back to the Richmond area where my family was here, I wanted to start having a family. And then that way my mom could be involved with my kids, just like my grandparents were involved with me. And so I, I knew it was going to be very difficult being a single parent, um, but I knew because I have such an extensive family network here in the Richmond area and they're heavily involved and very supportive, I knew um, I would be able to, to make it happen. But I can definitely say it is the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire <laughs> life is being a single parent raising one kid, much less two or three kids and a dog. Yeah, throw the dog in there too. <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, you know, as they say, it takes a village and... Um, Having those, having the, the uh, relatives, having the other people there that can give you that break that you need. I remember, um, you know, I, I was divorced, so I had my boys, my twins most of the time. And and thank God for, for my parents and being able to say, to send them off, you yep. know, for a week with, <laughs> with, the, with the rents. And um, and also when my mother would sometimes come and and just clean the house for me and make dinner and you know it was just such a special thing <laughs> yes <laughs> you know so um so you clearly have a great support network with with your family and i'm assuming you've got friends that help out as well yes yeah family friends uh, i have i have such a large family here mm-hmm. i generally rely on them heavily um but also i have friends that are available to help out quite a bit that are really close with the kids yeah as well so let's talk about your first son um eli and um, he was adopted out of foster care. So let's talk about that experience. What you're starting to figure out, how am I going to do this? And so clearly at some point you looked into what was involved to be a foster parent. That's right. So uh, becoming a foster parent is a pretty extensive process. So you generally have to go through um, a training. It's like a three-hour training every week for three months, nine weeks, I think, total. And it's like a side job. It is. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, it is actually an amazing training just to go through it. So even folks that are not considering foster care, it's a great training to go through just for parenting. Okay. You know, they talk about things that you can and shouldn't say. Um, I've also read a, a, a lot on it on books and adoption books and surrogacy books and what the kids kind of go through and, you know, what they look forward to in, in their life. And um, by going through the training in foster care in the foster care system, it helped prepare me to be a parent. It was an amazing training, and it kind of teaches you how to be a parent, things you can say, shouldn't say. Um, You know, the biological parents of the kids are always going to be present in the kids' lives. So even if they were abused and neglected, you never say anything or talk negatively about their birth parents, regardless of the situation, because as soon as you do that, you're going to lose the child. And so by having that training, it gave me a good foundation in order to to start being a parent. And I actually had a couple foster kids um, prior to Eli coming to live with me um, that I got to uh, raise for a, a certain period of time as well to um, kind of get a little bit um, experience under my belt. <laughs> it's a little training. It was. There. <laughs> and, and one thing that you learn from the foster care system is, is all the childs are different and how you approach them are different. And it all depends on their form of abuse. So, for kids, so the two foster kids that I had prior to Eli coming to me, they were exposed to alleged sexual abuse and physical wow. abuse. And so you handle them a lot differently than you handle Eli because when Eli came to me, he was more so, his form of abuse was emotional abandonment abuse. Okay. So if you look between the two kids, my first two that I had, uh, loud noises 
freaked them out, you know, stuff like that. They, um, they could be alone all day long and play in their room all day long and not have a problem, but loud noises and anything like that would, um, would shut them down. Whereas Eli, you could, you know, bang pots right by his head and it wouldn't face him at all, but he would not go play in his room by himself. Like he would always want to be around. So it, it's just interesting to see the different dynamics of what these kids experience, but it's also good, you know, for parents to kind of get that breath to see it basically teach you how to parent. So um, which which county did you do the training through? Uh, Henrico County. Okay. Um, oh. I did the training, and then the kids actually came to me. They lived in Goochland. And they do a pretty thorough background check on they you, do. too. They do. Background well. checks, home studies. It's just like a full adoption process uh, that's done through the foster care system. So how did um, Eli come to you? So uh, with foster care, there's two basically things. There's two basic things that you can do. You can do respite, or you can do full blown foster care. So respite is more like weekend babysitting, for lack of better words. And then full blown foster care is you have them full time, you know, around the clock until they go back to their birth family, because that's the obvious goal of the foster care system. Um, Eli used to be. Uh, I used to do respite for him okay. because he was staying with a, a, a single um, female at the time, and so when she needed a break. He would come to stay with me for the weekend, and it was a good balance between a male and female figure in Eli's life. And so uh, ultimately, um, the situation presented itself where um, that individual was not able to adopt Eli. Okay. And so we kind of you know, coordinated with the county, and um, the county basically decided that, that Eli could come live with me in hopes of a- adopting him. And so how he- old was he when, when you first started uh, doing respite with so him. So he was four years old when I first started doing respite. He came to live with me when he was five, and then I adopted him when he was six. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and he, how old is he now? He is now 11. Okay. Wow. Oh, I know. Yeah. Five years. They grow fast. They do. And um, so does Eli still have contact with his biological family, or what's that that's that relationship like? Yeah. So one of the one of the important things that, you know, we learned in the training and also things that we've read over a series of books is it's important. If it's a healthy relationship, it's good to have the child. They want to know their biological family. They want to know where they came from. And um, with my other kids, we have that, and we'll talk about that, I'm sure, um, later on in this um, session. But with Eli, I don't know his biological family. Okay. Because I, and I don't know the context or the terms that he was placed into foster care. I don't know if it was voluntary or involuntary. Um, so I don't know anything about his, his biological family. So that's one component of his life that— we will never have. Yeah, and unfortunately. that's 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 going to be tough but, um, in terms of how tough. to deal with that, especially you know when when you have siblings who mm-hmm. do have a better idea of their um, their you know their biological background, their the way in which they came into the world, that's et cetera. Right. And um, it, interestingly enough, you know, I had um, uh, I'm on ancestry.com, and oh. and we're seeing more and more connections through that. And interestingly enough, last night I was contacted by. Um, a, a a person that had been placed out by one of my father's cousins who was trying to track down, you know, her biological family. And, um, and we're starting to see more and more of that. So I imagine that with all the, you know, the 23andMe and, and Ancestry.com, et cetera, at some point, and, you know, the sound, reg- sound X registry, at some point, Eli's going to be trying to track that down or get his foster care file opened up yep. so that... You know, and, and in many cases, um, I'm opening up adoption, closed adoption files for medical reasons. Mm. You know, I know 
I know that uh, DSS tries to do the best job they can of capturing as much, you know, genetic and medical history um, for the child. Right. But but still, when you don't really have that much information about your biological family, that's a, that's a lot of medical history that's missing. Yep. The medical history and then uh, you know, what, I, what I have done is I have gotten Eli's um, birth records. Okay. And so, you know, if you read through the... 40, 50 some odd pages of that, you can see handwritten text. And, you know, I know the, I know his biological mother's name and there was a phone number that was listed when she came into the hospital several years ago. And so I've thought about trying to contact them, but it, it scares me because not knowing the context in which Eli was placed into care. Right. I, I don't know if I'm ready to, um, approach that. Yeah. Side. Right. And also you don't know what the, um, what the response is going to be right. on the other side. Yeah, because I, it, what makes it hard you know, and I do feel bad for Eli because, you know, when they get into school, they have to do projects like bring a picture, you bring a baby picture of you and stuff like that. I don't have any of that for Eli. Wow. So it's hard, you know, when he's in school, all of his classmates have pictures of when they were babies. Right. I don't have any of that for Eli. And so that's stuff like that is is emotionally hard for kids, especially when you already have a kid that's emotionally abused. Right. Originally, it just makes the situation worse. Well, I know you're an, an excellent dad, though, and especially with all that training, et cetera, yes. <laughs> you're most equipped to deal, because those are tough issues. They I mean, are. really, you know, not having a baby picture and not having that history when other kids do, that's a lot for you to have to work with him on that, yep. you know? So um, let's talk a little bit about your second son, AJ, because mm-hmm. um, he came into your family through a different route. He did. He was a true private adoption. Um, and how did how did that come about? And and how did you... So you've already gone the foster care route. You've done all this massive training. You know what that system's like. How did you then say, okay, now I'm going to learn about private adoption and, and explore this avenue? So uh, a lot of those avenues actually were running parallel at the time. Okay. So I had already um, gone through the private adoption uh, route was very familiar with that. I'd actually already entered private adoption um, prior to having Eli. Uh, so we were working with an agency down in, in North Carolina um, that was a national agency that was trying to match birth mothers with intended parents. And um, I had done that process maybe three, four years before Eli or AJ ever even came into the picture. And I, I was kind of... I, I'm always optimistic. I'm an optimistic person, but I was just under the impression, you know, it was one of those agencies where um, uh, birth mothers have a look at uh, all these intended parents, and then they basically pick who they match with. And then the way the process works is if you had a birth mother that came in that basically was like, I, I want to adopt my child, and, you know, I'm uh, to whatever family, I'm not really picky on the family that they go to, then they would pull from whoever was, quote-unquote, in the book the longest. Right, right. <laughs> and so I just assumed that was going to be me. I was like, you know, how many people are going to want to adopt their kid to a single male when there's all these two-parent families, families out that are out there looking for children? And um, I got into the book, and actually on my birthday several years ago, I had a birth mother call me uh, from Williamsburg, and she really liked me. We met, and we actually matched. So she didn't match, though, through the North Carolina agency, right? That's right. We ended up doing it as a parental placement. Right, as adoption. a private, so private as adoption. opposed to an agency adoption. Mm-hmm. So how did she find you? 
through the agency's website. That's okay. how she found me. Okay. And then they contacted me directly. And then, you know, f- through consultation with you, you know, the agency got their fee for the, the match process. But right. then we did everything else as a, as private, a private adoption right. through Virginia and Henrico County. Yeah. So the so birth mom was able to place with you directly rather than placing with the agency who That's then right. placed with you, which more and more, um, we're seeing more and more birth moms wanting to do that direct parental placement. Okay. Um, there's a, there's a, a feeling of having a little bit more control, mm-hmm. you know, by doing that direct placement in many ways. Um, and so we're, we're seeing uh, a lot of the private placements happening and some of the agency dr- uh, placements um dropping in numbers although there are some birth moms that 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 prefer going to an agency and saying hey agency you mr agency you you pick out the person mm-hmm. you know it depends on the that biological mom's desire for involvement you know some want to be really truly involved and get to meet the adoptive you know family and others sort mm-hmm. of like I just want to place this child and move on and not have quite as much involvement. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about um, what that was like to first meet this woman that likes you and is thinking about placing her child with you. It it was a interesting process. She was um, she was very young. It was it was an exciting meet. Like you know, we met and it was just we we had corresponded back and forth several times through email or text and pictures and whatnot. Um, and then we met in person, and it just seemed to click. It was a it was a good fit. Was she pregnant at this she time? She was pregnant okay. at the time, um, maybe five months pregnant at the okay. time. Okay. And so, you know, so myself and um, and, and both uh, the birth mother and the birth father we met, and we just had a good connection, and it worked out good. So we just started developing a relationship from there, and then basically, um, she said she selected, you know, I want you to you know raise the child, and so that's when we quote-unquote matched, and then we started working with you guys through through that process. But it it was a very emotionally draining process and an emotional roller coaster because it's this unknown of, you know, this person can change my life by allowing me to adopt their baby. Right. But it's totally their decision, and they could say, no, I want to go with person, somebody else. Somebody else right, instead. and you're, you're kind of going through this this beauty contest process, you know, or am I going to get selected? Yes, it was. (laughs) I actually had um, clients um, who were selected by a uh, birth mother in, um, in South Carolina, was it South Carolina? Think of a South Carolina. And this birth mother and birth father were specifically looking for adoptive families that were athletic. And so they had like three, three adoptive families that they came, you know, brought in to interview. And, um, and these clients of mine, uh, happened to, to win the beauty pageant, you know, <laughs> but it is, it's, yes. it's a, and when we do it in my own office, you know, I'll, I'll have birth moms, um, come in and they'll go through the profiles, you know, like the, the profile that you've done. And, um, they'll say, I want to interview, you know, these three potential adoptive, you know, uh, parents and it, it's it's nerve-wracking mm-hmm. to kind of go through that interview process and wonder are they going to pick me are they going right. to stick with me you know am, am I the one that is meant to yep. to be the parent to this this child and so it was it was good that you guys and they, normally they'll set you everyone will say that there's just kind of this feeling of clicking mm-hmm. you know where where it's, it just seems it's to be right feel. yeah it's got feel but it's, it I'm a very optimistic person, and you know it's it's out of my hands. I just try to do the 
present the present myself in a true fashion, right? And be honest and and upfront with them, and and I hope that they like me and that they will choose me. And in my cases, it's worked out phenomenally. Did you get your mom involved? Uh, my mom was involved uh, after we had already met several times. Okay. Um, you know, we had met and matched, and then you know our families kind of connected because it wasn't an open adopt. It was an open adoption. They were from the Williamsburg area. I'm from the Richmond area, so it's fairly close. Um, and so you know, my, myself and my mom and would go down there to to meet them for dinner or something, and so it was a nice uh, developing that relationship was was a good process. So when AJ was born, um, how old was Eli? Uh, Eli was five at the time and AJ, uh, I, you know, I, I got AJ right from birth. From okay. The so they're about five years apart. They're five years apart. Okay. And then and five years apart between AJ and my daughter. And your daughter. Okay. And what's the relationship like between Eli and, and AJ? Oh, it's great. They're, they're just, they're great kids. I mean, they, they're tremendous helpers for me. They're great big brothers. They get along great. You know, they have that normal sibling banter back and forth, but it's very minor, uh, very minor. There's such an age difference between them. They, it's like they have their own set of friends, but they can still be brothers and supportive of one another together and still play together. So, um, does, what is your relationship with AJ's, um, biological family then? So with it being an open adoption, we do have that open relationship. So we'll text pictures, um, calls, stuff like that. And they'll even do visits. They've come up to uh, my house several times to, you know, um, visit with AJ. And, you know, I I let them basically have that time with him. And they can, you know, help him get ready for bed and read him bedtime stories and eat dinner with us. And it's just like a family unit. So it works out great. And AJ knows that, you know— that I'm his daddy right. and that there's, um, that he has a, he's a special kid that he has another sets of parents. So he has mommy, mommy, Hannah and daddy, Jonathan. Okay. I was wondering what he called them. And so, yeah. and the same thing with Eli, with his, um, foster mom, he calls her mommy Katina, you know, it's the mommy and then their name. Okay. So it's a little bit different. I mean, it's, it's not like they know that they're their birth mom, but, but I'm quote unquote your daddy. Your dad though, right. I'm dad. Yeah. You're, you're the, you're the. You're the, the guy, the yeah. main guy. <laughs> so Eli has um, a, still has a relationship with his former foster mother. Then. He does. Oh, that's he, great. He he, um, he he has some contact with her because that's all he knows as his mom. It's not his biological mom, but he's been with her since I think he was two, one and a half or two. And so that's all he knows as his mom. He doesn't even know his biological mom. So his foster mom is who he considers his mom. So it's nice that they still have some sort of contact. Yeah. As well. Absolutely. So with AJ's parents um, is, you know, now we have uh, we have binding post-adoption continued contact agreements. Um, is there a, a, a binding agreement in that in, in AJ's case or is it just more kind of an informal arrangement? I, I, I can't remember because it was so long ago. I, I thought we had some sort of binding contract where we said we would have ongoing contact and pictures on a certain frequency. And I think the frequency that we had contracted was, you know, once a Way couple less. times a year. Yeah. And what um, you're actually doing. And, and, and we actually do it on a much more frequent basis. I mean, she'll text me just out of the blue and say, hey, how's it going? And then so I'll text back or, you know, I'll take a picture of the kids. And this is a funny picture. So I'll send it to, you know, the birth, um, to AJ's birth family, right. mom, dad, and grandmother. And it's just a great relationship that we have. Which is really wonderful because it's just more people to love the child. It is. And then um, AJ's always known his birth story, mm-hmm. you know, and so there's, there's no um, secrecy. Um, there's there you you never have this issue of having to 
tell him, oh, by the way, you're adopted. Instead, it's just what he's always known, Mm -hmm. you know, which is such a wonderful thing. Um, We are about to cut to the break, and this is Raising the Bar Greater RVA's Law Talk Radio Show. Today, I'm talking to Keith Lippa about building a family three different ways. If you have any questions about how to build a family through adoption or surrogacy, call into the show at 804-454-1366. Greater Richmond's premier Law Talk Radio Show. Call into the show with your stories and questions at 804-454-1366. Now, back to Raising the Bar. Call into the show with your stories and questions at 804-454-1366. We are back. This is Colleen Quinn of Lock and Quinn, and we are doing Raising the Bar Greater, RVA's Law Talk Radio Show today. Today, I am interviewing my client, Keith Lippa, about building a family three different ways. Keith, as a single dad, has managed to build his family, first of all, adopting uh, Eli through foster care, and then adopting AJ through a private placement adoption, and then having his daughter through gestational surrogacy. And um, so as... A single father who loves being a dad. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> very, very much wanted to be a dad. Um, you have uh, managed to go down all of these different paths to build a family, which is fascinating. And if anybody has any questions about the process of building a family one of these ways, please call into the show at 804-454-1366. So we've talked about the Adoption of Eli through foster care. We've talked about the adoption of AJ through private placement adoption. And that then you decide, okay, I would like to have another child, right? <laughs> Let's try the third round. <laughs> Let's try the third round. <laughs> so you and you did all that training with foster care and you did all that research with, you know, with the private placement and, and agency adoption. And now you say, well, why not surrogacy? Why not? Yeah. So, <laughs> so what did you do to become educated and decide, I, I think I'm going to look at this surrogacy route to have a child? It was, it was actually uh, one of my friends from high school that actually put that bug in my ear, Okay. to be honest. It was, uh, I, I was looking at child number three, and I had just, you know, one of the things I think that we, you and I had talked about is, you know, just communicate out. Communicate out to everybody that you're looking for another child. Right. You um, just don't know where that gestational carrier might come that's out of right. the woodwork. And there could be a lead from <laughs> your past that you didn't know about. And so I sent out a Facebook blast several years ago, and it just said, you know, hey, the Lipa family is looking to grow by one more. If you know of anybody that's considering adoption or surrogacy, then, um, you, know, con- you know, private message me and let me know, and we'll start talking. And... Uh, I was more so thought I was going to go the, the adoption route. Okay. Because, you know, for surrogacy has its own challenges, you know, financial especially. Right. And one of my high school friends had actually, we had started talking about potential surrogacy. And so, uh, you know, that, you know, she would be interested in carrying. And um, so we just started a dialogue back and forth. And then it started putting in my head, like, you know, maybe I, I, I could do the surrogate route. I, I, I could try that. Um, 
you know, she and I were really good friends in high school. Um, we ultimately decided not to do the surrogacy and she actually moved out of state back to Texas and it just wasn't the right fit or the right time for us. Okay. And so then, you know, uh, you and I had met right. and talked about some of the options that we have with the surrogate, surrogate route. And um, through your office, uh, you know, we had connected a lead. And um, we actually, you know, I looked at this one profile and it was just something that felt like this is a good fit for me. It's a good connection. And so, you know, the more and more I read up on the family, I really liked them. And so, you know, we contacted each other and set up a meeting and so we met um, myself and the husband and wife. Uh, we met, and it was just like an instant click. It was an instant connection. It was that gut feel, kind of the same thing with when uh, I met AJ's birth family. And so we talked, had a good relationship, and it's just a all-around good fit. I'm actually surprised that we never knew each other beforehand. Right, because you it, actually ended up crossing paths in so many paths, ways. Yeah. In so many ways. From high school, we went to rival high schools, um, you know, with the, the mother and I went to rival high schools. The father and I went to rival high schools on the other side. You know, we played soccer. I'm surprised. We probably played against each other. Um, and uh, we went to college together at the same time. We have a lot of the same mutual friends in common. And so it was just surprising that we never crossed paths. Right. And when when we met... You know, they have two kids who are just about my two kids' age. So, you know, their oldest son is close to Eli's age and their youngest son is close to AJ's age. So it was just a good fit. So when we get the families together, the two older boys play together, the two younger boys play together, and then we share this common connection, uh, Allie. So it just just by meeting with them and talking with them, it just it was that gut feel, that instant connection that we're like, oh, this is a match. And then so we started working through the process for how to actually make it come you know, make it a uh, go to free. Right, because now, now you don't have, there, there's not a child in existence That's as right. it was with Eli. There's not a child in the oven, you know, That's right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's no pregnancy yet yep. um, as there was with AJ. And so now you're looking at, okay, I have the host womb. Of, I've, I've met the woman that's willing to, to do this for me. But now we have to go through this process of, of actually creating a child and, of and, as you know, uh, we mentioned before, um, you know, a, a single mom, she she can go to a sperm bank, yep. et cetera. But as a single dad, um, you know, you you go, okay, well, I guess I need an egg, yes, <laughs> an egg <in laughs> to make oven. this happen. <laughs> so, so how did you go about picking out um, the donor egg? So that was an interesting process as well. Um, uh, two of my friends that I actually know in college that I work with uh, right now. They had ultimately had their two children through IVF. They had some complications, and so they actually ended up having their child through IVF. So I had talked to them a lot um, about that process and um, talked with them about their doctor and who they used and, you know, pros and cons, if they liked them or not. And so um, I set up a consultation with their doctor. Um, they were highly – they highly recommended him. So I met with him. And, and, um, and for uh, folks that don't know, IVF is in vitro fertilization, which is basically, you know, the – the, the test tube baby, That's you know, right. you, you make yep. the, you, you make the embryo in the Petri dish. Yep. Okay. And so, so we met with the, um, the IVF doctor, uh, myself in the, in the, um, surrogate had met with them and just started talking about how that process works. And then they basically have, um, an, an IVF clinic or, yeah. um, 
And they had yeah. they had an egg bank. They had and they ar- have an egg bank there. So, so they already had eggs that were already frozen, or did you have to pick a live donor? So uh, so many different options that right. you can choose. Uh, there's you can pick a a, a a live donor, a friend, or somebody through their um, network right. that can do that process, and it has certain costs associated with it and certain risk. And then you can choose from the frozen eggs that are folks that have already donated eggs, and you can pick from them, and they have a lot of profiles you can go through. Um, those are the two main routes that you can choose. Um, I had contacted one of my uh, best friends just to see if that was something that she would be interested in, maybe like a, a live to create an egg. And, you know, we're amazing friends, really close. And we decided that it just wasn't the right fit to, to do that. And so I started looking into the, um, the uh, egg bank. Right. And you look through all these profiles and they have such detailed information on all these donors. They have so many donors, different um, you know, heights, uh, uh, intellectual scores, um, athletics, uh, family history. I mean, they have this full-blown 40-page-plus report on each person. Okay. And so sifting through all of those, that was a very tedious process. And so I'm an engineer, and I'm very detail-oriented. <laughs> and so I, I went through, like, one night, I went through the full 40-page profile, and I, I put, like— um, their uh, information, not to say pros and cons, but there were certain things that kind of um, connected with me and certain things that I really wasn't as keen on. So, you know, I, I set up a list I could see you like charting that. this out. It yeah. was. That, that's how engineers work. <laughs> pros and cons right. list. And um, so I did that for uh, several of the profiles, and I kind of narrowed it down to six. And then towards the end, I, I, I kind of settled on this one. And so I had contacted um, the, the clinic and said, you know, this is the one that that I want to choose. And so going through that process for creating the, the child, you know, with, with my sperm and the frozen egg, um, you know, we kind of worked through to through that process together in order to make it happen. How many embryos were created? We actually had five okay. that were created. The normal for frozen is six. Okay. Um, this donor was a, a quote-unquote popular donor, so she only had five eggs okay. left. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, so she had five eggs left, and so we fertilized five. Okay. And then one got placed in the sur- in our surrogate, and that one took. Okay, so you still have four embryos. Unfortunately, f- the other four did not make it. Oh, they didn't make it. Yep. Wow, through the freezing, through the thawing process. Yeah. So, oh, wow. so we have like, um, so we fertilized five, and the doctor, well, the normal is six, and the doctor mm-hmm. says it's not uncommon to lose two and maybe have four mm-hmm. stuck. And so we fertilized five. We had immediately lost one, so we had four. Okay. One of those four got placed in. One was questionable, and. The other two just didn't make it um, through to whatever they call it. Well, they, yeah, so they, the blastocyst size. Yeah, so the number of cell division, um, yeah, some just don't grow. And so that's what happened. So the, yeah. one, so the one that actually took, the one that was placed in the surrogate, actually took. And I'm very thankful that yes, that happened that, the first time. <laughs> that that one embryo d- yes. worked, yes. yes. So um, a lot of folks uh, don't realize, but when you pick a live donor, then now you've got to pay for the costs of, you know, she goes on medication yes. and then she's got to go through this retrieval process. And then you have the risk of not knowing how many eggs will be retrieved. That's right. And so um, there's a lot of, uh, there's um, 
a lot of certainty when you go with the banked egg because you already know the eggs are there. They're already banked, and it's already a sunk cost. That's right. So it tends to be a little less expensive. And it's actually more expensive with the live yeah. um, donor as well because they have to do the medication and the shots and produce the eggs. And like you said, sometimes some could produce three or four eggs, and some could produce 20 eggs. Right. And you never know, but you don't fertilize all 20 anyway. So just balancing that the, um The differences between surrogacy and adoption, it's like, so with the adoption, you know, the risk is, are they going to actually place the child? That's right. But the child exists or is is in the womb, you know? Where surrogacy, the big risk is, is this going to work? Right. You know, is right. and thank goodness that one embryo made it. Yes. Because <laughs> now you have an alley. Yes. I'm very thankful. <laughs> Who's so adorable. So um, we've got a caller on the line. Katie, you're, are you there? You're live. Hi, yes. Yes, good morning. Good morning. Um, so I was just kind of wondering, um, listening to Keith talk about all these different ways that he's, um, you know, managed to be a parent, um, you kind of have the whole realm of experience. Are there, I mean, is there one that you would recommend to people trying to build their family? Is there, I mean, it sounds like they're all pretty positive experiences. Is there anything that you would, you know, tell people like, oh, maybe stay away from this one or definitely do this one? Um, or are they all just different and, you know, good in different ways? Right. So great question, so, so, so they're all good in different ways, and they all have their risks. So mm-hmm. um, if, if you want to talk all three real quick at a high level, foster care, um, from a financial perspective, is definitely the best way to go. But it, the goal of foster care is to reunite the child with their birth family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in Virginia, or in, in most of the foster care systems, right, it's if they can't, re- if they can't return the child to their birth family, they, they will generally potentially adopt them out to their foster family. Right, mm-hmm. but you can't go into foster care but, with the notion you, that you're going to adopt. Right. Yeah, it's completely a wild card. They're, yeah. they're, that's that's not. If if I was looking to adopt, that's not the route that I would go. Um, okay. The the private adoption uh, route has a little bit more of the unknown. The cost isn't as high as this, the surrogacy route, mm-hmm. but it's you know the child is in existence. You match with the the birth mother, and and you have a much better um, feeling that that is good that that child will be placed with you, and uh, when the child is born. Mm-hmm. Um, so it depends on your situation. If you have the financial funds available, the surrogacy route was, was great as well. And, you know, I have a, I had met a surrogate that's a really good connection, uh, with my family and, and our families together. So that route was best for me at the time, but for okay. people starting out, the adoption route is a, is a really good process as well. Yeah. The, um, so the surrogacy route, you have so much more control over the genetics um, because you, here you are. You just right. explained how you had, you charted out, you know, the the egg donor and all that and, and all the characteristics, you know. And then you have control over your own genetics because you're, you're, the other half is your, you, your That's sperm, right. you know. That's right. And um, then you also have that control over the medical care because in the surrogacy contract, the, the surrogate agrees to, you know, not only abstain from drugs, alcohol, and tobacco, but also from you know, henna and tattoos and skydiving and, you know, running triathlons and everything, <laughs> you know, and not texting while driving and everything else and not going to countries with the Zika virus. And so yeah. here's all this immense control right. over the prenatal care, et cetera. Um, but then you have the added cost factor, plus you have the that risk of not knowing, is she going to get pregnant? Yep. Yeah. So, um, lots of different pros and cons. Does that answer your question, Katie? It does. Yeah. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much for calling into the show. Great question. Mm -hmm. Have a great day. You too. So, 
talking then about that surrogacy process, um, let's let's talk a little bit about cost because you mentioned, you know, with, with foster care, there actually are subsidies, including mm-hmm. subsidies uh, for the attorney fees to do the adoption piece. That's right. Um, so cost-wise between the, the private parental placement versus the surrogacy, can you give us uh, some idea of what those numbers look like? I would say the actual number. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so uh, with the... Private adoption costs, I was figuring somewhere, this is just the engineer side of me. I, yeah. <laughs> I kind of mapped out the cost structure as well. Um, I was kind of figuring in the twenty to $30,000 range. Mm-hmm. And surrogacy costs, I was figuring 60000 up, depending on, you know, if, if, the, if the egg takes the first time, if the surrogate gets pregnant. Um, with well, there's the medical costs. Charges, there's medical the costs. monthly that, stipend for the carrier. Every, yeah. Everything. And so um, surrogacy was at least double what it was for adoption. Okay. So to give folks an idea of of what those numbers look like. But still, um, you know, surrogacy in Virginia um, in that sixty to 70,000 range is a lot of times on the Internet when you go look. And I've I've got some uh, cases that I get from California. Yes. And some of those numbers are bumping up, you know, 120, 150,000, yeah. you know, and which which can be super expensive. Yeah. Um, so um, that even being double uh, the amount of a private placement adoption still being in that 60-ish range is um, pretty good because that's actually approaching the cost of an international um, yeah. adoption, which runs around the fifty to $60,000 yep. range as right. well. And, and, and uh, for those the parents that are out there, you much well know that $60,000 is nothing <laughs> when it comes to child care and diapers and formula and college funds. Right. That's, that's and, one year for my activities. son at NYU. I, I tell you. <laughs> so <laughs> let's, you, you talked about um, the relationship with your gestational carrier and her husband. Um, so tell us a little bit more about like how frequently you get together and what is, what is, her relationship with Allie. She, she, she's very involved. Actually, their family is very involved. Even, you know, her 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 parents and her sisters have met Allie. Oh, the Allie, whole family, The yeah. whole family. They were, they were at, at our house for Allie's uh, birthday party, and we get together on a very frequent basis. Um, usually, it's on the order of once a month. We actually just met last weekend. Um, and so we have an ongoing, continual relationship. It, it's like we're a... I mean, we're connected through Allie because, you know, they gave me this amazing gift, but we're, it's like we're, it's like we're family. Yeah. You know? And we are, and we treat it like that. And so we see each other generally around holidays. We see each other on birthdays. We, we get together quite frequently. And how old is Allie now? Allie is now one. Oh, wow. No. Yeah. Exciting. Can't we're, believe it's been a whole year since she was born. <laughs> and how are the boys with Allie? Oh, they're amazing. They are such big helpers, especially Eli. I mean, Eli's 11. And, and Eli is a lot more independent now. He's going into middle school next year. And he's just so helpful around the house, so helpful just doing anything. He can help take care of Allie. Um, you know, being a single parent, it's quite challenging. And to have the family support that I have, you know, the, the surrogate support that I have, and also, you know, my two kids, the support that they offer at home on a continuous basis, it's just I'm very thankful and very blessed. So how does Allie refer to her gestational mom and her husband? Um, she very well connected. I mean, she's, she's not speaking or, or walking yet. I mean, she can say like, dada. So yeah. She, she notices me. Um, uh, but we haven't um, 
a approach like what what, what we was, call them. What you're gonna call her? Yeah, yeah. is it? It's right now. My my kangaroo mommy. Yeah, or, you know? <laughs> yeah <laughs> whatever. Figure, figure that piece I out. Know, yeah. <laughs> Some yeah. people do like Auntie, you know, Katie, or mm-hmm. you know, just you know, uh, or my my uh, tummy mommy. Uh huh. So that 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 remains to be seen. You, yep. That piece you're you're still still learning yep. as you go, right? That's right. It's always a learning process. <laughs> so, um, from a stress standpoint, I know you don't get easily stressed, but looking at the three different ways of building your family was any way uh, more stressful than the other. I, I think the the least stressful method was the surrogacy because like you were alluding to earlier, you have a lot more control over that process. You have a lot more control of um, the uh, prenatal conditions, the the egg, the sperm, obviously it's yours. Um, you have a lot more control over that. So that was a lot less stressful. The stressful part of that process was, will the egg take the first time? Right. Or well, will the- we have to go through the IVF process all over again? Because that's a substantial cost. Right. Part of that. So if Allie didn't take the first time, we would have had, because none of the eggs survived, we would have had to done the whole process all over again from an IVF perspective, and then that would have just been additional cost. But that's just money. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I say that loosely. I mean, it's a lot of money, but it's just it's just money on the grand scheme of things. You know. Yeah, that, that stress of, um, okay, is you, you have to thaw the egg, you've got to fertilize the egg, and now you've got to see, is the embryo going to form and is it going to grow and here you are watching these five eggs and seeing, are they going to make it? Mm-hmm. That that's that is stressful. And yeah. knowing that one did make it and made Allie was a real miracle. It was, yeah. So how did you explain to AJ and Eli um, that this woman who is now pregnant is carrying their soon-to-be sister? <laughs> The funny thing is, they they didn't actually ask. We actually haven't even broached that subject yet. Okay, surprising. Yeah, I know. I, I guess they just they had. Did you, at some point together. when you did you ever introduce them to the gestational mom, the carrier? Oh yeah, and, they yeah they're very well. Um, they got a good relationship. Um, uh, they they're very. They, I think they just look at them as family, like okay. an aunt or an uncle or a really close friend. And so does Eli, he's 11, does he understand that Allie's gestational mom gave birth to her? So we're starting to approach that subject now. Okay. Because, you know, before the whole, you know, uh, how babies are made right. subject is starting to come up now. Okay. So I hadn't had to approach it until... Until recently. Yes, until yeah. recently. The good thing is there are more and more great books out there that kind of um, use very simple ways of, of explaining, you know, how babies are made mm-hmm. and how sometimes, um, uh, you know, dad need dad needed a little bit of help. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and needed that kangaroo yeah. mommy or uh-huh. that possum mommy or whatever, you yep. know, to help out with the process. Um, yeah, the the level of the number of uh, books that have started to come out for children in the um, surrogacy world. I mean, we always had a lot in the adoption world that helped to explain that process. But mm-hmm. it's it's really interesting. I'm seeing more and more great books coming out to help explain to kids these concepts because yep. it's it is it's tough. You're trying to figure out what words do I use? That's How right. do I explain this? That's right. And, and you know, there also there's also networks out there on Facebook as well, like single dad networks. And so I, I've actually posted to that before and just saying, you know, because a lot of folks have gone through the similar type experiences. I'm like, you know, hey, dads, does anybody have a good reference book for how to 
talk about this subject, and then you'll get a whole series of people that respond and say, oh, this is a good book by this person, this is a good book by this person. And so I'd done that before, and I'd actually ordered a couple off of you know Amazon.com right. and had them shipped to the house, and then we can use those and read them as their bedtime stories every night and start to approach subjects that way. Yeah, because um, as they grow, I mean, here you have three children that came into the family in three very different ways and um, all of them being able to embrace their own way that they came into the family as well as the ways that the others did right. becomes increasingly important. So speaking of that, um, any any interest in, in a fourth child? Because I, I think I... When speaking to you um, at one point earlier, I think we were at court we, having to, to finally get the final order on Allie, um, you mentioned the possibility of, of wanting a fourth down the road. That's right. <laughs> I, uh, I am definitely looking forward to that. I, I definitely say I want at least one more. Okay. So not even limiting it to four. The growing Lippa family. I know. Um, <laughs> and so I think we're actually going to start that process after the summer. Okay, so and which which process sure. are you are you contemplating? And I think we're going to do the surrogacy. Route oh, okay, again behind door number three, yes. the surrogacy route wins. Right. Um, so which so you know once you bite the bullet and say, okay, I know what the cost is going to be. Um, you do have um, more control, as we talked about. Um, but now you're going to be back to the drawing board on that donor egg. That's right. And so if the same donor is available, because none of my it, ideally, if uh, the five fertilized eggs, if they had survived and we were to freeze them, we could just um, thaw them. You would have had those embryos, right. And they would have been ready to go. Um, so we have to start that process over again. So if that same donor is available, I'm most likely just going to choose that same donor again so that we have the same kind of genetics for Allie and the, the next child. Um, so, so that's my, my thought process right now. And then, you know, from the financial standpoint, I'm trying to... Um, save money and, and build up because I know that expense is coming in the future. So I've kind of set aside money for that. So I really appreciate you being here today because you're taking time off of work. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get you back to work so that you can continue to build that nest yeah. egg to yeah. have that fourth child. Yeah. So, and the surrogate, is there any word there on, on that process? Yep. So we've, um, you know, cause we have a really good connection. And so, uh, we've kind of talked back and forth and I just said, you know, Hey, you know, and I talked to her a long time ago that I, I wanted at least one more, and so um, I just kind of started posing the question to her, like, if it's something you're interested in doing again, that'd be that'd be great if we could do it again. Um, if not, that's okay. I totally respect that decision because I didn't know how hard that was on her from an emotional standpoint. But because we have that connection, right. I, I don't think it's as hard from an emotional standpoint. And so I just asked her if we want to do it again. And, and so she just recently, we just recently talked a uh, week before last, and um, I think that she's going to potentially do it. She oh, wow. just, she asked about time in and, and I, we, that's what we talked about after summertime because I said, if, you know, if, if, if you're not able to do it, it's totally okay. Totally respect that. But I want to start getting in the process to identify somebody else. Um, right. If you're, now, if you're not interested, if you're not interested, because I, I know what a, what a lengthy process that, that could have been. Oh but, yeah. Cause trying to screen the carrier and everything. Right. Um, but of course, you know, she, like most carriers, likes being pregnant and has mm -hmm. easy pregnancies. Right. And um, so a lot of women uh, that are surrogates um, are of that mindset. And so you just you just need it to kind of keep dropping that little those little hints. And yep. it sounds like you finally you finally have convinced her. <laughs> so we have been talking 
today about building a family three different ways. This is attorney Colleen Quinn of Lock and Quinn interviewing my client, Keith Lippa. If you didn't see the whole show or hear the whole show, remember you can catch it on the Lock and Quinn Facebook page or on the RaisingTheBarLawTalk.com website. And you can also hear the podcast series on iTunes. Uh, Join us next week for the next Raising the Bar Law Talk radio show.